Welcome to the Georgetown Christian Church Podcast. Join us for worship at 9 and 10.30 a.m. on Sundays. Information about groups, studies, events, and electives is on our website at georgetownchristian.org. Good morning, Georgetown Christian. Hey, if you guys would uh, open your Bibles to uh, John chapter 4, we're in a series called Let's Eat. And it's a little bit because it's Thanksgiving, but it's also a little bit because in this chapter, Jesus says to his disciples who are concerned about his earthly need for food and water, and he says, "My my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. So we, in the culmination of our series, we finally go over that verse formally this morning. Uh, Last week, we discussed, uh, and if you're hot right now, the heat just went off. So there, yes, praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, I thought about taking off my sweater, and then I didn't do it, and so I'm going to wear it now and be hot, just like you. Uh, Last week, we discussed a trip and we discussed a talk, and we discussed a testimony. And so without rehashing all of last week, I still want for those who have gathered here today for the first time, maybe not last week, to just give you some context for where we are, because we're dropping into John chapter 4 totally unaware, without a little context. So I challenged each believer, each individual believer, to take a trip they need to take, have a talk, they need to take and to share their testimony. And so what we saw Jesus do was to go from Jerusalem to Galilee, and he went through Samaria, which was uncommon because the Jews would typically cross over the River Jordan, go through Perea, and avoid entirely the region of Samaria because they despised the Samaritans. So we asked the questions for ourselves, are there places into which we need to go? Are there Samarias in our lives where we despise a certain group of people, maybe because of the wrongs of an individual or maybe even two individuals that now you've gathered up and you've applied it to an entire group of people, thereby meaning you have some prejudice in your life. And you need to take a trip into that area. And maybe, like Jesus, you need to have a talk. Now, when Jesus took this trip, he broke tons of barriers, which we'll get to again today. But Jesus, unlike us, Jesus did not avoid those places. Jesus was willing to go to the places that were not commonly accepted for a Jewish rabbi to go. He was unwilling to yield to a cultural barrier. So we asked that question last week, are you willing to go to a place that is not a place you would normally go? Maybe it's a place at a certain time that you won't go that you need, you need to go. And we talked about the fact that Jesus had a talk and Jesus had this talk with this Samaritan woman at a well that we heard was just a little bit outside of the town of Sychar, and Jesus has this talk with this woman. And I asked, do you need to have a similar talk? The kind of talk that Jesus had with this woman was one that acknowledged that in her life there was pain, 
but it didn't allow the conversation like, I know I have done this, and you see if you have done this too. Jesus experienced the pain that she was living in her life because of the fact that she was at a well at a time that people don't typically go to a well, unless you're trying to avoid people, which she was. So Jesus moves into a place in her life of deep pain, and he's not willing to just move on or to just gloss over it and to just say, you know, you're probably going to be okay. We're going we're gonna to let that slide because, boy, that looks like a really hard place that we don't want to get into. It's going to be really messy. How many of us need to have a talk that takes, that takes the needed turn for this woman who was living in a life of really hopeless behavior on her fifth, I'm sorry, on her sixth husband, We don't know that he was a husband, but she had had five husbands. She's with a sixth man now. Jesus was unwilling to gloss over the false hope in which she was living her life. So the question for us, to be like Jesus, is there a talk that you need to have? Is is there a person who is, as I speak in your mind, if you're a believer, there's a Holy Spirit alive and active inside of you. He guides us in the truth. He convicts us of sin. He builds us up into the image of Jesus. Is there a person right now, the Holy Spirit lays on your heart, and you, you can think of their name. You can see the last time that you, in this situation, when they were at the place, they tried to avoid people, and you ran into them there, and you glossed over it. Is there a person who is living in a false hope that they are staying in pain they don't have to live in, is there a person like that with whom you need to have a talk? We saw that Jesus didn't allow this conversation to be just about water, although they're at a well, and he needed water. He made the conversation spiritual. He intentionally made a conversation about water spiritual so that he might give this woman a living hope. Jesus explained that only in him would she find eternal hope because she was living a life of temporal hope, moving from man to man to man to man to man. And that was a little repetitive. But that is the depth of the depravity that people that you and I both know live in daily because they bought a lie. And we gather together on a Sunday and we hear the truth of God's word. It's open in your lap right now. You try to live it in your life that it would be visible. But is there a talk that you need to have or a trip that you need to take so that someone who lives without hope can begin living in hope? Finally, we saw that this woman went back to her hometown, Sychar, and she shared her testimony. So the question then was, do you need to share your testimony? Today, I will, I believe, urge you to see that it is every believer's responsibility to share our testimony. And we'll talk a little more about what that means. But we saw a woman that because Jesus chose to take a trip and Jesus chose to have a talk, she was then empowered to go share her testimony with all of the people who typically saw her only as her sin. It might be hard to imagine a woman who has had five husbands and is living with a sixth. 
uh, men today, we would probably be accused of living the wrong kind of life if we were to take a trip like this for any other reason but to share an eternal hope that we have in Christ. I'm curious if you need to take a trip or have a talk or it's time for you to share your testimony, if you've ever had awareness of what it would be like to share a testimony. For some of us, it's this is my testimony of how I came to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that he's my Lord and Savior. It would be like saying, I had sin in my life that I could not deal with. The guilt was overwhelming, but I have a peace that's supernatural now. I live forgiven before God, and it's because of Jesus' death and resurrection. A really even shorter way to share the gospel than the song that we sang that expressed the whole of it in beautiful imagery. Maybe that would be your testimony. Maybe your testimony would be one that said something like, I was living for myself alone, and God came into my life in a way that I hadn't really expected because now I live for the sake of others and for his glory. Maybe your testimony would be one of, I used to live this particularly sinful lifestyle, and it would not elevate that sin or your behavior during that sin, but it would elevate the one who pulled you from it. Maybe your testimony would be one of a more mature believer, and it looks like, you know, I've been in the church for so much of my life, but I have recently seen God gift me in a way that previously he had not. In fact, the Holy Spirit has made me something that I wasn't before, and he did it for the benefit of the church. Look at the way God has transformed my life from a person who was a believer to a person who was plugged into the body of Christ in a meaningful and specifically empowered by the Spirit of God way. Friends, that's a testimony that builds up the church. When we all hear that, then we know that that same Holy Spirit alive in us can fit us into that body just where we're needed. And not by your power, not by your ability or mine, but by the spirit of the living God alive and at work in your heart. Maybe your testimony sounds something like that, but no matter your testimony, whether it's I'm a new believer, I'm a mature believer, our testimonies change over time. Not because we re-enter sinful habits that draw us away from God, but because as a Christian, we're always growing in our relationship with Jesus. So Christian, if right now you're thinking, Um, my testimony might have changed. That's normal. That's normal for your testimony to change as you grow in Christ. Back to our woman, our Samaritan woman who's come to a well to get water at a time that would allow her to avoid any contact with any people from her town. She's now on her way back to town and not one other time that she's ever walked back from this well. I'm imagining this is not in your Bible. You did not miss something. I'm imagining that not another time has she ever walked back with this jar in her hand back to her hometown thinking that she has value or worth or real actual hope. And friends, I wonder how many of your friends, my friends, students, co-workers have made that walk every day that they go to work, they go to the grocery store, they go to school, and you're sitting there with the hope of the living God. And you just aren't willing to have that talk or to share that testimony. 
This woman is on her way back to town today, and she probably couldn't remember a single conversation where someone wasn't looking down condescendingly at her because they believe, falsely, they believe that she is her sin. Today we land back in John chapter 4, after the disciples have returned from town, and before this woman goes back to town asking, could this be the Messiah? And we're looking at the basics of being a new believer. And we just had a baptism before our second service started. Abigail joined the body of Christ this morning. Would you guys praise God with me? That is great news. We give that glory to God and celebrate that he's adding people to his body for his glory. And there's an also, there's a second benefit, and that's our good. Abby, welcome to the family of God. We're looking at the basics of being a believer. Uh, We like to say it this way, and I'm going to have to nuance it because I had a, a faithful critique after first service. I said, saved people, save people. And I'm summarizing the activity of the Samaritan woman. Now, can we agree that Jesus saves? Amen. Okay. So don't think that I believe that you're going to go out here and save someone on your own. Just to be clear, I appreciate that. We're clear now. So let's set up two different pictures, a mature disciple And a mature disciple might be one who is like that person who would share a testimony about how God has gifted them in a new way to to build up his church. Uh, A mature believer might be someone who you've seen teaching or leading in the church or even at work, maybe they're leading a Bible study. A mature believer might be someone who you've gone to with questions And they have had answers that appear to come from the Bible. That might be a mature believer. A mature believer is probably someone who is willingly and actively on a continuous basis laying down their own life, not just when we're gathered together, but outside of these walls on behalf of people who live without hope. That would be a mature believer. Now we're moving over to a new believer And it appears from this text that there is one very distinct activity of a new believer. And I have, uh, thank you to our technical on worship arts team, um, been able to give you a hint at what I think the text is going to tell us. The activity should be of a new believer. And it rhymes with saved people, save people. Can you guys say that with me? Saved people, save people. I think that's what we'll see as we move through this text today. So I'm starting in verse... 27, because we jumped over this group of verses last week. Just then, his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? And I'm only guessing that this is because early in the ministry of Jesus, he's called these men to be his disciples, to be his followers. And they are beginning to believe that he is definitely a good teacher. At a bare minimum, he is a very good teacher, probably able to work miracles as well. But they've seen good teachers before. They've seen miracles before, probably not on the level of Jesus. But these disciples were really early in their training with Jesus, so they're probably not willing to bring in these cultural norms and to heap them up on him and say, you're a rabbi, you can't talk 
with a woman. Hey, you're a Jew, you can't talk with a Samaritan. Hey, you're a male, you can't talk with a female without her husband. Hey, you're a Jew, you really can't put yourself in debt to a Samaritan by asking for a cup of water. They're unwillingly, unwilling to heap those cultural standards upon the man that they believe is at the very minimum a very wise teacher, miracle worker, and they'll begin to know as Jesus, Lord and Savior. So in verse 28, the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one? They went out of town and they were coming to him. The woman did not in this moment, as Jesus has shared with her that he is the Christ, she did not consider her jar left here maybe on the edge of the well. She did not even consider the jar as she took off because I believe that at that moment, because of the hope that she now had, she knew the responsibility of a new believer was to share the good news because save people, save people. I believe that's why she left the jar at the well, and we don't know exactly why. But the woman did go into town and share that she thinks she might have found the Messiah. It reminds me of a a parable Jesus told, and he says this, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and he bought it. I wonder why it is that a new believer, why is it that a new believer has the enthusiasm and the boldness, while they don't have the knowledge that you and I might have, but they have the enthusiasm and the boldness to share with those without hope what it is that Jesus has done for them. And I think, I think it's because we lose focus. I think it's because we listen to lies of the enemy who, like the people in the town of Sychar, probably just remind us all the time, if your tape is anything like mine, when the negative thoughts start to come in, sometimes that's the enemy. And he's telling you that you are your sin. And the way that God sees us is just like Jesus. Paul says that we receive his righteousness. The writer of Hebrews says we're covered in his blood. Jesus is what God sees when he looks at us. And I believe that after an encounter, after placing their hope in Christ, a new believer is sometimes clearer than a believer who's believed for decades because they go out with the enthusiasm and the boldness to share the new hope that they have. They can see how far they had fallen. They can see their own depravity. And they can see what it is that Christ calls them to. Maybe that's a little bit why they're willing to share. The word behind people here is, uh, in, in the verse in John, I'm sorry, is anthropoi. And it means human beings. It doesn't mean men, and it doesn't mean women, and it doesn't mean anyone of a certain social strata. 
Although you and I might want to only go to the place that we're really comfortable to share, maybe just our friends. This woman goes back to the town and she tells the anthropoid. She tells the men and the women. And there's no indication that she withholds this message of good news from her entire town. Verse 31, meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. So while the disciples are urging him to, see, to eat, we see, uh, we see Jesus in this text as, as God. Because we know he's ascended, he's conquered death and sin and Satan, he's, he's on his throne, as Doug just said, and that's how we see Jesus. But remember, these men met him as a man, and then they discovered he can work miracles, and he's a prophet. By the way, also, he's the son of God. Jesus is God. They discovered that later. Right now, they knew him as a man who was thirsty, as a man who needed food. Thus, they thought they were bringing him the nourishment he needed. And upon their return, still trying to give him food, he remarks that his work is to do the will of the one who sent him and to accomplish his work. Brothers and sisters, we, we can do God's will, but only Jesus can accomplish God's work. We then join him in that perfected work. The whole book of Hebrews will describe to you the perfection that Jesus had to have to be our sacrifice and our high priest to enter a perfect heavenly tabernacle. Only Jesus can accomplish that work. This word is uh, telio, and it's translated in other places as complete. It's translated as fulfill. If you have an empty or half full glass and a pitcher of water, if you were to pour this water from the pitcher into the glass, you would telio the glass. You would fulfill complete wholly accomplish the filling of the glass. That's the work that Jesus does. We join him in doing God's will, which is loving God and loving our neighbor as Jesus summarized it. I'm in verse 35. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? And there's, in your scriptures, there's a little quote mark around that. Jesus says, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes. He's telling them to look towards Sychar. Lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Uh, if you have grown up around a cornfield or around people who have been around cornfields, you have probably heard the phrase knee-high by the... Uh, you guys have grown up around some corn, okay? Y'all are corn folk just like me. I think I might have, like many other Hoosiers, although I grew up in Illinois, emerged from the corn saying, what do you say? Oh, yeah, you emerge from the corn saying, oh, that's how you know you're born a Hoosier. So Jesus right here, he's using this commonly known phrase, and uh, they're not, these disciples, they're not seeing this. Jesus makes a contrast. They're not seeing that picture. That's a picture of what you and I think when we say something about harvest or something about the harvest time being ready for harvesting um, the crops. Jesus used this phrase, and also in verse 37, he uses it to teach that a spiritual harvest of souls is visibly ready, as visible as that corn is ready for harvest. This, the spiritual harvest is now ready, and he says, lift up your eyes. He's 
asking them to look at the people coming out from the town of Sychar. But Jesus is making the contrast here, and we'll see this as we go through the text, that it is not, the harvest of souls is not seasonal like crops. Jesus is teaching that the harvest of souls is an ongoing process. If you're a farmer, don't you wish that you could just keep on harvesting that corn? 100 bushels a week. Man, I would have a combine. I promise you, that would be amazing. But it is not like that with crops. It is like that with souls. The harvest of souls is ongoing. We'll see in verse 36. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages. That means harvesting. The one who's harvesting is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. It was during a job interview that an employer said to the interviewee, he said, we really need to have, bottom line, wrap this all up for you, put a bow on it. We really need to have someone who can be responsible for their job. And the the interviewee, the applicant says, boy, your search ends here. This is it today. I'm your guy. And I can tell you why, because when I worked at my previous job, whenever something went wrong, everybody said that I was responsible. Jesus teaches two important jobs of a believer who is sharing the good news, which is one of the most fundamental things we see a new believer do is share their testimony, the good news about Jesus. We see them planting and harvesting. These are the two things Jesus describes for us, planting and harvesting. So just hang on to planting and harvesting. Verse 37 For here the saying holds true. One sows, another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Uh, Take the Western idea of something that's fair out of your mind. Just to put it on pause for just a second. Jesus is teaching a spiritual truth, and we don't have to adjudicate the justice of Jesus in this verse. So, I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. So, Jesus is taking off another one of the commonly accepted phrases, and he teaches that evangelism is two things. What is it? It is planting and harvesting. He teaches it's those two things. Now, in this case, in the town of Sychar, this is why they have have entered into their labor. This is why they're now harvesting something they didn't plant. Jesus is making a norm for the church. This is for you and for me. It could be that John the Baptist had been through this town and had preached a gospel of repentance before the king, Jesus, arrives to share and reveal himself to them as God. It could be that that is why they are now entering a harvest, harvesting seeds they have not planted. Because the job of a disciple is to plant and to harvest Paul writes about it this way in 1 Corinthians. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. That's why when this church grows, it's who that gets the glory. That's the Lord's glory because he's the one that's making it grow. So neither the one who plants it nor the one who waters it is anything but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants, the one who waters have one purpose and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor for we're co-workers in God's service. So we can set the fairness beside over here out of the way and not let it in our way 
Because our job is planting and harvesting, maybe sometimes watering. Our job as Christians is planting, watering, and harvesting. Friends, saved people save people. Whether you're planting or watering or harvesting, you can see that Jesus thinks there's not a specific season for that. It's an ongoing work of the church until she's triumphant, until Jesus returns, until we're united to the groom, Jesus, this is our work. So that means that every time corporately we do something together and it doesn't immediately produce disciples getting baptized right now, does that mean that we quit doing the thing? Of of course we're not quitting doing the thing. Other times, maybe you're going to share with your fellow student at school. You're going to share with somebody in the break room who's expressed to you the hopelessness of their life and you are going to risk it for Jesus and share the eternal hope that you have. Because they've got to see the light somewhere. And you know what? They don't become a disciple. Does that mean that we just immediately give up? A man went to his doctor for an annual checkup. He said, the doctor told me to drink less, sleep more, eat healthy, and exercise every day. So today I'm making a big change in my life. I'm not seeing that doctor anymore. Imagine, and you probably have to imagine this, because Georgetown is a a church that is not only blessed by God in in so many ways, but our our budget is flush. I mean, our budget is met, and we are able to be wildly generous to missionaries and those who are in need. So don't hear, especially if you're new, me asking for money. Uh, Hear that it would probably be unusual for this to be you. But maybe you have a friend who in 2024, they have the typical American pile of debt and they go to work and they think, I'm coming home. I'm gonna put some away from retirement. I'm gonna pay some bills, buy some groceries, and I'm gonna put $100 on this credit card debt I've got. And after two weeks, how many of them want to give up? How many of them might actually give up? Friends, in the same way, You can see the silliness of that. We can't allow ourselves to lose hope when something we do corporately, something that we do individually, such as share our testimony with someone who is losing the opportunity for hope day by day. If they don't become a disciple that day, we cannot quit. Our job is sometimes to plant seeds. Our job is sometimes to water. Our job is sometimes to harvest because all three are ongoing until we see Jesus returning. God is giving the growth. And I know for so many of you like me, it is just a joy to watch what he's doing. As you consider the Lord who gives the growth, I want you to think about Those in your life who do not have a home church, they don't have a body they're united to. Maybe they've mentioned they believe in Jesus. And I want to just say that the soil is fertile because it's about to be December. We start a new series next week called With, and it's about a God just like the one we met in John chapter 4, who was there with a woman who was broken at a well. That's the kind of God that your friends are going to meet when they come to Any given Sunday, starting next Sunday, when we talk about God with us, friends, let us be like Jesus who said in 
in a month full of food. In a few minutes, we're going to eat more. Jesus said, my food is to do the will and accomplish the work of the one who sent me. Can we agree? It's time to eat, friends. Let's, let's eat. I'm going to pray, and uh, we're going to get prepared for a time of baptism, but right now I want you to no heart of anticipation, but bow your head and allow God to speak. Father God, you know your church body better than I will ever know it. It's your body. Father, you are drawing people to your body. You are, you are in this moment illuminating places in their hearts that they need to yield to you and say, Lord, you are also Lord of this area of my heart that I have kept from you. Father, in some hearts you are saying, you're alone and there's no such thing as a solo Christian. Father, for those who you're saying it is time for you to place yourself in my body, Father, would you give them the boldness to take that next step? Father, for those of us who know that there was a trip we had to take this week we did not take to a place we just normally want to avoid, but Father, but on behalf of someone who needs hope, would you give us the courage to go make that trip, have that talk, share the testimony of the way that you've changed our lives? Father, would you give us the strength to be the church that you would receive the glory? Father, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.